Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So how would you complete this sentence? Most Christians are. Most Christians are. In our series, James has been showing us, practically speaking, that Christians are, and we've learned some things, Christians are steadfast, that Christians are quick to hear and quick to listen, that Christians are slow to speak and they're slow to become angry, that Christians are doers of God's word, that Christians are impartial and they're not judgmental and that Christians meet the real needs of other people. Those are just some of the practical ways that James has already identified in which Christians are. But when that question is posed to people outside of the church, most Christians are, guess what the primary answer is according to most surveys or statistics? Christians are hypocrites. Isn't that interesting? Christians are hypocrites. In fact, a study by the Barna Group asked non-Christians about their perceptions of Christians. And the study found that 80, they said that 85, they thought that 85% of those surveyed said Christians are hypocritical. And of those surveyed, this is very interesting, 78% said that Christians are out of touch. Those outside our, our doors, our walls, think that we're, criti- that we're out of touch and that we're hypocrites. In researching for his book, Unchurched, author um, David Kinneman found that 84% of non-Christians, they say that they know a Christian personally, and yet only 15% of them say that the lifestyle of Christians are noticeably different in a good way. Now, if you're an accountant, there's a word that you would use if if this was the data that you had before you. The word you would use is discrepancy. You'd say there's a discrepancy, there's a lack of compatibility with two facts. On one hand, you have people who say that they're followers of Jesus, and then on the other hand, you have those same people whose lives show little to no evidence that they are in fact a follower of Jesus. To continue with that accounting language, a discrepancy in, in the accounting world must be reconciled. That's what James is going to help us out with today. Let's reconcile, let's reconcile the discrepancy between a genuine and counterfeit Christian, between an authentic believer and a fake or a phony believer. In fact, What James is going to talk to us about today, it actually confuses some people. It confuses some people because at first glance, it seems to contradict what the Apostle Paul says about this idea of faith and salvation. The Apostle Paul tells us that you and I are saved by grace through faith alone. He tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. Through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. Why? Because it's a gift of God so that none of us can boast. Great, you say by grace through faith. James comes along and says in James chapter 2, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? 
He also said faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. So who's right? I mean, they're both in the scriptures. They're both in the Bible. Which one of them is wrong? Well, they're both right. They're both right. You and I, we just need to understand that they each have a different context. And it's important for you and I to understand the context so that we don't miss what they are and what they are not saying. For example, in Paul's context, Paul was fighting a a very specific problem of legalism in some of the churches, such as the Galatian churches. And those Christians there were thinking, man, I've got to keep all the Jewish laws and requirements and customs in order for me to be saved. And Paul was letting those Christians know, listen, you can't work your way to salvation. You can't earn your way to salvation. Your actions, Paul was telling those Christians, they don't save you. You're saved by grace through faith. James is not fighting legalism like Paul was. James was fighting laziness or inaction. He's dealing with a group of people who said, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. It's just, it's as long as you believe. You just got to believe. And so since they're dealing with two different groups of people, both James and Paul use the word works or deeds differently. They use them in different ways. When Paul uses the word works or deeds, he's talking about Jewish laws like circumcision. When James uses the word works or deeds, he's talking about the lifestyle of a Jesus follower, of a Christian. Paul focuses on the root of our salvation, what goes on with us internally. But James is talking about the the fruit of our salvation, what goes on in the outside. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you can identify them by their fruit. Everybody say fruit. You identify somebody by their fruit, that is, Jesus says, that is by the way you, excuse me, that is by the way they act. Paul's talking about, how do you know you're a Christian? But James comes along and says, I want to show you what a Christian looks like. Paul's talking about how, here's how you and I become a, a believer. James is telling you and I, well, this is how you behave as a believer. So they're not contradicting each other. Two different audiences, two different purposes for writing, two different concepts and ideas that each of them are communicating. Paul, the very one who said you're saved by grace through faith, he also said this in another passage, 2 Corinthians. He said to those believers, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Another translation says to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. So that's what James is going to do today with us. He's asking us to examine ourselves, to test our faith. Do we have a genuine faith in Jesus? Because for him, the question really boils down to, how do you go back to the accounting term? How do you reconcile when someone declares that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and yet their lifestyle represents something totally different? How do you reconcile those two together? Is that even really a faith at all? And so James says, I want to, and he's going to ask a series of questions. And he says, let me explain to you what faith isn't. And so James is going to tell us genuine faith, it's not just something that you and I say. So let's pick it up. James chapter 2, verse 14, he says this. 
And again, he's asking all these questions. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Notice the key word. Somebody is claiming to have faith. They're talking about it. They're saying that they have faith. They know all the right phrases. They know how to say the right things. There's a lot of people out there who claim to be Christians, but they have no deeds, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everybody who says to me, Lord, O oh Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who professes Christianity is in fact a believer. James says, talk is cheap. Real faith, genuine faith. It's not just something that we say. But then James goes on and says, genuine faith, real faith is also, it's not just something you feel or have good intentions about. See, you and I, we can be emotionally moved. We can have good intentions. We can have strong feelings about something, but that doesn't mean that those feelings are faith. And so James gives another illustration and asking some questions. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes in daily food. If one of you says to them, well, I know you don't have food and I know you don't have clothes, but go in peace, keep warm, be well fed. But they do nothing about the physical needs. James says, what good is that? I want you to check out this Peanuts cartoon on the screen. You have Charlie Brown and Linus, and they notice that Snoopy is out in the cold, and they're hey, he looks kind of cold. And so they say, okay, well, let's go do something about it. So they go up to him, we should maybe comfort him. And what do they do about it? They go up to him and say, hey, Snoopy, be of good cheer. Yeah, be of good cheer. And then they walk away. And Snoopy's like, what? He's freezing out there, but they walk away. Be of good cheer. Do you know where Charles Schultz got the inspiration for this particular cartoon? It was this verse. James chapter 2, verse 15. What good is it if you see somebody in need and you say, man, I feel for you. Poor little guy. You'll be okay. You know what? Just hang in there. But then you don't actually ever do anything about it. Thoughts and feelings and good intentions are not going to make Snoopy warm. Our good intentions don't move the needle with somebody in their life. And I want you to think about it this way and think about it from a faith perspective. In no other area of our lives would we think it's okay to have good intentions, to be emotionally moved and think that that alone is sufficient. No other areas of our lives. Let's say you're married and you say, well, honey, you know what? I know today is your birthday. And I got to tell you, man, I had every intention of getting you flowers. Man, I had an intention. Man, I was feeling this. I was like, I was going to write you the most amazing card and tell you how much I loved you. I was going to take you out to this best restaurant, your favorite. You were going to be blown away. And man, I had this gift for you all picked out. It was incredible. You would have loved it so much. But I didn't do any of it. Happy birthday. You tell me how that's going to go over. Right? You tell me how that's going to go over. Let's say you're looking in the mirror. It's December 31st. And you're looking in the mirror and you're like, man, I don't like what I see. I got to do something about this. I'm going to lose weight. I don't like what I, that's hideous. I got to do something. You're like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. So you go out and you, you buy new gym equipment. You're like, I'm, I'm starting every day. I'm going to work out. You have the intentions. You don't like what you see. You're going to do something about it. A month later, you realize you bought the gym equipment and you've used it once. 
You had good intentions. You didn't like what you saw. But your good intentions, they don't drop the pounds in your life. How's it going to go over if you call your credit card company and say, man, I got to tell you, I really intended to pay this bill. I did. I, I mean, my, my, my intentions were good. My heart was good. I just didn't get around to it. Do you think they're going to give you a break because you had good intentions? And what's the answer? Of course not. First John chapter 3, suppose a person has enough to live on and notices another believer in need. How can God's love be in that person if he doesn't bother to help the other believer? You see, real faith is generous. It doesn't just feel for people. It's not just good intentions. It's not just getting emotionally moved by a story. Oh man, I really have the desire to help you. In fact, James says, if that's all it is for us, notice the word James uses. James chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, and if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Everybody say it. Is? It's dead. Dead faith useless faith, ineffective faith. There's nothing to show for it. Now, I mentioned before the message today about this congregational care ministry that we have. Man, you need to know that is such a great way to put your faith in action, where it actually meets somebody's real needs. So, man, sign up. Go to that November 5th meeting at 1230 after church where there's free lunch involved. Did I mention the free lunch? There are so many ways that you could care for your church family. Uh, coinciding with that, we also have this LP Cares Facebook page. Man, I love the potential of what this is and what it can be for us. And what this is is if you have a need and you reach out to Darla on our staff and, and she, that will end up getting on the LP Cares Facebook page. And those who have said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll sign up for that. I'll be on that page. You will see those needs. And somebody says, well, that's one I can meet. Well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, that's something I have a skill or an ability or whatever. I can take care of that. And it's just this great practical way to not just see your brother or sister in need and say, go be of good cheer, but to actually do something about it. Genuine faith. It's not just something you say or something you feel or have good intentions about it. And then next, James says, genuine faith, it's not even just something that you think. James chapter 2, verse 18, but somebody will say, you have faith and I have deeds. So there's this intellectual conversation going on. And here's, you have a guy who he thinks a lot. He's, you know, you've maybe heard the phrase, he's in his own head a lot. He thinks he has faith. James comes along and says, no, 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 no. You think you have faith. James says, verse 18, show me your faith without deeds. Show it to me. And I'll show you my faith by my deeds, by what I do. What did James say? Show me. Show me. Real faith is visible. You can see it. It's apparent. There's no such thing as covert Christianity. Faith isn't just something that you and I think. Well, pastor, you don't understand. God knows our heart. God knows what we think. Only God knows, not other people. Well, is that what Jesus said? In Luke chapter 6, it says each tree is recognized or known by its what? By its fruit. Not by what somebody thinks. 
You say, well, I think taking care of myself spiritually, it's one of the most important things I can do. Take care of myself spiritually. Somebody comes up to you and say, okay, yeah, I agree. I think the same exact thing. Do you read the Word of God every day? No, I don't do that. Well, oh, okay, well, you, of course then you pray every day, right? You pray for people all the time. No, I, I don't really do that either. Well, how about that? Do you serve regularly? No. Do you give generously? No. Do you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness above all else? Do you seek to say yes to God's will and God's way in all of your decisions of life? No, I don't do any of that. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think, what counts are our actions. How do you know you're a believer? James, Jesus, they say evidence, fruit. There's evidence that Jesus has been transforming your life. Genuine faith always produces a change in our life. So genuine faith, it's not just something we think. It's not something we say. It's not something we feel. And James also says, it's not even just something that you believe. It's not even this mental assent. James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So I want you to think about this. You can be a person who believes. You can recite all, you know, biblical doctrine or, or creeds. You can quote the Bible. You can teach the Bible all you want and know everything about the scriptures and what God's will is and God's way. You can know it. I believe. I believe. James says, big deal. Thinking you believe or saying you believe doesn't mean much even if you think or believe the right thing. The devil knows the right thing, and he believes in God. Demons, the devil, they aren't atheists, and they're not even agnostic. Intellectually, they know that God is real, that God is powerful. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In some respects, you could say the devil and his demons are the greatest theologians to ever be, to ever live. They know the Bible more than you and I will ever know. Why do they believe? Because they know it's true. They know it's true. What, what did James say about their belief? They believe and what are the words James said? They shudder. You see, salvation isn't just information that we know or learn. It's not just having the right information. Salvation is a relationship with the Lord that we love. Demon faith. Demon belief, it clearly isn't a saving faith. It isn't leading to their obedience to God and to following God. Intellectual assent, knowing the right information doesn't mean that somebody actually has a genuine faith. So, if genuine faith isn't something we say, it isn't something we think, it isn't something that we feel or have good intentions about, it isn't what we believe, what is real genuine faith? If you haven't caught it already, uh, let me tell us simply, genuine faith is demonstrated or shown by what we do. Going back to James 2 verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'm gonna show you my faith by my deeds. True faith transforms. It transforms the way we live and the way we act. True faith, if you and I have a genuine faith, man, it's alive and it's dynamic and it produces works. It produces good fruit in our lives. John the Baptist said it perhaps the most clearly. 
when he said this in Matthew chapter 3, he said, prove by the way you live. Everybody say prove. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Man, it doesn't get any more clear than that. Prove it by the way you live. John the Baptist, James, they're both saying that people of genuine faith, man, their faith, it's obvious that they live different from the rest of the world. You can see it in their actions. You can see it in what they do. Jesus said this, those, you'll see it. In fact, Jesus says, those who are genuine believers, man, you're the light of the world. You stand out. If you have a genuine faith in Christ, man, it affects every aspect of your life. It affects the way you speak to your family, to your friends, it affects the way you treat your coworkers. It affects the way you interact with those who either you or they consider you enemies of one another. It affects the way you serve others. True faith affects the way you forgive others. It affects the way you embrace other people into your life. And James goes on, he says, I want to give you two uh, illustrations and make sure you understand what I'm talking about. And he's going to contrast two very opposite people. And so James says in James chapter 2, verse 20, he says, you foolish person, do you want evidence? Everybody say evidence. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? Everybody say did. Did he, was he not considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, they were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. You might be familiar with the story, Genesis chapter 22. Abraham is the ultimate test that God had for Abraham. And he asked Abraham to give up his own son, his one and only son. And Abraham, he was already a believer in God according to Genesis 15. And so James says that Abraham's work of obedience, man, that proved his faith. It proved that his faith was real and alive and dynamic as he obeyed God with his life. James went on and he talked about Rahab, the very opposite of a person as Abraham. Her story is found in Joshua chapter 2. And in James chapter 2 verse 25, here's what James says, in the same way, same way like Abraham, and he proved his faith. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? Everybody say did. By what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. If you know the story, that Rahab was this prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho. Jericho was the first city that the Jewish people would go in and, and enter and conquer as they were making their way into the promised land. And she was there. And Israel sent spies into that city to do a recon mission to see what they were going to have to do to take over the city. She hid those spies. And she helped them to escape. Why? Because she came to believe in God. Giving a clear statement of her faith in Joshua chapter 2 when she said, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This newfound belief in God, she proved it. It was visible by her actions, taking in the spies, hiding the spies, knowing they were going to come and destroy her city. She proved her faith by what she did. Back in the 1800s, uh, Niagara Falls saw hundreds of thousands of visitors each year. Not unlike today. 
But back then, people came for another reason, not just to look at the falls, but they also came to watch uh, a, a person by the name, um, his name was, uh, I forgot his name, uh, his name's the Great Blondin, uh, Jean uh, uh, Gravelo. And this person, known as the Great Blondin, would be at the Niagara Falls and do some feats that people just thought were absolutely amazing. What would he do? A rope was strung across the 2,000-foot chasm. And Gravelo would show up there and he'd say to the crowds, do you believe that I could walk across this rope to the other side? And everybody shouted, we believe, we believe. And so he would begin to walk across to the other side. He gets to the other side. Everybody shouts, yes, you could do it. You did it. You did it. And he's like, do you believe that I can walk across the other way with this wheelbarrow full of sand? And everybody shout, yes, we believe, Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. And so they're watching him, and he's going across with this wheelbarrow, and he's going to plunge to his death if he falls off this rope. And he's pushing it across, and he gets to the other side, and everybody's shouting and clapping, we believe, we believe. And then he looked at them all and he says, do you believe I could take this wheelbarrow? He dumped out the sand. Do you believe I could take this wheelbarrow across to the other side with a person in it? And everybody shouted, yes, we believe, we believe. And the most ardent supporter sitting there saying, yes, we believe, we believe. He said, well, then you get in the wheelbarrow. You get in the wheelbarrow. You really believe? You can believe that there is a God you can know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if that head knowledge does not result in putting our trust in God that leads to a transformed life, a life full of good works and deeds, James says, is that even faith at all? James says, no, that's a dead faith. You believe in Jesus, prove it. That's what John the Baptist said. Prove it, get in the wheelbarrow. Prove that you believe, get in the wheelbarrow because actions speak louder than words. Our behaviors show what we truly believe. And true faith in Jesus affects every aspect of our lives. The apostle Paul, the one who in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, you and I are saved by grace through faith alone. We can't earn it, we can't work towards it. Paul went on in the very next verse and he said this, after he said, you've been saved by grace through faith. He said in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, his masterpieces, workmanships, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, Paul was saying, you're saved by grace through faith. Faith, you are not saved by works. But then he said, save people, do God's work. You're not saved by your works but you do God's work. I like how John Wesley said it, famous preacher. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, do all the good you can as long as you ever can. Why? Because he understood, James concluded by saying, James chapter two, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, what an image. So faith without deeds is dead. So what about you? Do you love Jesus? Is he your Lord and savior? Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life?
If so, then it's obvious. It's obvious by the way you live. And people can tell that you wouldn't be one of those 85, those people that most non-Christians look at and say are hypocrites. That you wouldn't be one of those people who the most non-Christians say are out of touch. No. Your lifestyle is clearly different. Why? Because you follow Jesus. Do you have a dynamic faith that's alive? That others can see and say, that person, they love Jesus. Or is your faith dead? Useless. And I want to invite you this morning. If you're a Jesus follower, examine your faith. Test yourself. And as you do that, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord about it. And maybe for some of us, it's time to recommit our heart to him. It's time to recommit our life to him. We've been saying the right things. We've been believing the right things. But the reality is the evidence, the fruit isn't there. And I want to invite you to recommit to him. And then go live your life in a way that demonstrates Jesus is in fact your Lord and Savior. There might be some of you here this morning. You believe in God. You believe Jesus is God's son, but the reality is you have never surrendered to his lordship in your life. You have never truly come to faith in Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to join the family of God so you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can have the hope of heaven. You can join God's family. So let's pray and let's go before our Lord and Savior. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.